0: Huh.
1: Yeah. Let's go,
0: last moment of the night and now my back's tight Back to the grind, folks, better act right Ready for the next time I see the bright lights got a train, here ready for the next fight All this work unnoticed, gotta be blind Disrespected again, I think I lose my mind hey, I got a question Okay, I'll bite You know that wrestling? No, it's fake, right? Damn it The ongoing battle with the dirtiest four-letter word in pro wrestling
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to, you know, it's fake, right? The ongoing battle with the dirtiest four-letter word in professional wrestling. I am your host. My name is Brian Breaker. Thank you for joining me on the show today. If it's your first time listening, uh, I appreciate you stopping by. Um, If you've been listening since the beginning, like I always say, I appreciate you sticking with me. Today's episode 63. My guest will be Mick Drake. Uh, Mick is a guy I met, I want to say it was 20... 14, 2015, somewhere in there, at a, at a Harley Race camp, actually. He's a New York guy. Um, great athlete, great look, and then just an amazing human being. Just a great, great guy. One of those guys you talk to, I'm like, man, that's just such a good dude. And uh, then, you know, sometime later, he also struck up a friendship, uh, not only with me, but another guy that he met at the camp that year, uh, Ruthless Ryan Davidson. who's another friend of the show, who will probably be on again sometime in the future. And we find out Mick's a lawyer. i like, wait, what? <laughs> like we're pro wrestlers. You know, we work odd jobs and wait tables and stuff, like you have a real career. You know, and so it, it was always so interesting to kind of hear that about him. Uh but Mick's a great guy. And we don't really dive into anything specifically on the show, but we kind of just dive into everything involving pro wrestling, and it is a really, really fun conversation. Mick's just one of those guys I could sit there and talk to for hours and hours and hours about wrestling, but well, we don't go super long, but we we have a we have a really great conversation, so I'm excited to dive into it with him. That will be coming up here in just a moment. Um, but, you know, uh, as far as I'm concerned, everything's going well with me. My nephew had his birthday party yesterday, which is always, uh, always a fun time. He had a place called Main Event, um, which I don't know if those are all over the place. It's a big arcade, more or less. It's a huge, big arcade. They have a full bowling alley. They have laser tag. They have, you know, all the virtual reality type games where you're wearing a headset and you're like fighting with a lightsaber. A really cool place. And um, he had a blast. All his friends came. We got some great gifts, actually. We got several Batman action figures, some like the 12-inch ones with a one that it's like a four-pack, four figures, and a motorcycle. That was a really cool gift. I got him a, a AEW Darby Allin figure and an AEW Sting figure. And from Ringside Collectibles, the um, entrance stage, the uh, it's called the pop-up entrance stage. It looks just like their uh, entrance, that they have in AEW. Very, very cool. So he got some Healy shoes. Um, he got a little kid's camera. He can make his own YouTube videos, which I'm sure you've probably seen me post about his uh, YouTube channel, which he really enjoys. So he got a lot of stuff he, he's going to like. And, you know, he's eight years old, so really good time. Um, and, you know, on, honestly, I'm like my niece... She's a uh, she's eleven now. Her birthday is in um, December. It's December third, and that's always such a hard time to do a birthday party. You know, Christmas time and everyone's doing stuff for the holidays and you know Christmas programs and all and all that stuff. But also, two people are like financially strapped uh, for th- for that, and so that makes it hard. And so his birthday being in March is like one of the easiest birthdays because. Um, no one's doing as much. Uh, and it's not really fair to her, but it's just kind of the way it, it goes, I guess. But but he had a great time. And, um, of course, I was, you know. And he also got, my parents got him this Batmobile, which I was going to, I'm definitely going to touch on on TB Toycast. But it's remote-controlled, like a remote control car, which is really fun. But it also has an ejector seat. So it has a four-inch Batman figure. It's from Spin Master. And you literally can hit a button, and the figure will fly out of the seat it's one of the coolest toys I've seen in a long time. So, um, very, very cool stuff. But yeah, he had a, he had a great time and enjoyed his birthday. And to me, that's what it's about. Right. I know as we get older, I'm 36 now, like you just start thinking like, Oh my God, I'm just getting closer to 40. That's not fun. But when you're, uh, when you're young, it's, it's all about, uh, you know, it's all about, you know, having your friends over and eating pizza and eating cake and all that good stuff. So he had a great time, which is what it's about. Like I said, um, yeah, and I also want to give a shout out to my friend Tim from At A Chair Shot, who was my guest last week. Hopefully, you checked out Pulling Up a Chair with a Chair Shot. His uh, most recent guest was me. We actually released those on the same day. So, you got two different shows with the exact same people. So, uh, but you know, different perspectives. So, hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. I, I enjoy chatting it up with Tim. He was a really fun guy to talk with. I want to have Tim on this show in the future. And uh, like I said, I recommend pulling up a chair. He's uh he's a really, really fun guy to listen to on his podcast. And he has a really cool, um, complex group of, of guests, which I think is really fun. And that's kind of something that I've kind of adapted to this show because initially my thought was I want wrestlers, but then it's like, well, you know, I don't need just wrestlers. I can do podcasters. I can do fans. I can do people outside the business. I can, it's my podcast. I can do whatever I want. And I think that that's a cool thing. So Um, You know, this week I had Mick Drake. He's a pro wrestler. Who knows what will come up next week? I know, but I haven't announced it yet, so (laughs) you'll have to wait for it, I guess. But anyway, thank you guys, and uh, I will kick it over to my conversation with Mick Drake. All right, ladies and gentlemen, joining me on the show this week all the way from new york he is the one and only mick drake mick it has been a long time we haven't talked in a while how you been man i've been great brian thank you for that that awesome intro i love the uh the
0: softball that i can kind of knock out of the park
1: now you, you better um, believe it that's I, what I, we're all about I, is softballs around here <laughs> yeah.
0: uh but uh but i'm good man i'm i'm living the dream i'm happy i'm healthy uh managed to escape the covid so far good, so good. so all things are good
1: good deal yeah it's um we were talking before we before we started recording about how how cold it's been and i know um in these cold snaps it's crazy because that's when allergies kick in and dude with the covid stuff everybody gets nervous right if you're sniffling or something so it's i'm glad you've been able to escape it so far it's 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 been a, a wild couple of years
0: I saw a a cartoon on on Instagram, right? It must have been from the New Yorker or something, and it's somebody covering their nose when they're sneezing, and they're like, "I'm trying to figure out how to sneeze in public without people thinking I'm spreading some kind of infectious disease, and just assuring them
1: it's just allergies or I got like a tickle up my nose or something." Exactly, yeah. It's it's definitely a wild time, but um, so let's. I'm gonna kind of give everyone a little bit of rundown of how we met. We actually met at a Harley race camp. And I want to say, was it like 2013, 2014 when we actually met? It was a, it was a while ago. Yeah. I want yeah. to say 20, at least
0: 2014, if not before that.
1: Yeah. And I remember seeing you there and thinking, like, man, this guy, this guy's great, great performer. But what I really felt like with, with you and, and, and also another guy I met around that same time was Ryan Davidson, who I know is a friend of yours. And yeah, um, love Ryan. Yeah. Great guy. And, To me, like what was so cool about meeting you guys, you guys were very, very good in the ring, very much standouts, but very humble human beings. And I feel like in this industry, the second you meet, at least in my experience, when you meet that really cocky individual, usually in the ring, they may be lacking a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's that tends to be uh, the case. I've had that experience a lot, too. Um, I think I think humble is one of those words, especially in wrestling. That people always say, you know, be humble, be humble, be humble. And it's, it's kind of, uh, beaten into your head. And so people tend to err on the side of being too humble. Sure. And, you know, they end up letting people take advantage of them or they don't sing their own praises. They don't, you know, there's that fine line between confidence and arrogance, um, that I've read a lot about and I've always tried to, tried to walk. And if you, if you're able to navigate that, then you're able to be both humble and confident. And I think that's really what sets you up for success in wrestling.
1: Well, and and that's the thing is wrestling is such a unique industry, and I and that's kind of been the crux of this show since I started doing this is how I guess how to navigate the industry that we are in. So uh, before we dive into that, um, obviously you've been wrestling for for many years now. Uh, were you a fan as a young kid? Did you find this and think this is this is cool? I want to be in this crazy industry. How did your uh, how did your interest in wrestling kind of start?
0: I mean, like so many others, right? I was a huge fan growing up. Uh, I was a Bret Hart guy. He was, you know, Bret was my guy growing up, and I just loved pro wrestling. And uh, when I think back to why that is, especially at the time we grew up and the, the product that we we watched, it's so different today. Sure, But then it was like watching real life superheroes, you know, like coming off the comic book into real life and they were they were real you could see them on TV you could hear them speak you could go to live events and see them and i just i loved it i consumed it uh, i was one of the the early passions in my life and then as i got a little bit older when i was in high school i played a lot of sports i was a good athlete and i played basketball i played tennis ran track i think i even played soccer one year uh but the one semester of the year when i wasn't playing a sport I would do theater because I love doing theater. I love being on stage. And so naturally the mixture of athletic, athleticism and sports and theater is pro wrestling or historically has been pro wrestling. And that's kind of what led me to when I was a freshman in college, uh, find a wrestling school and start training on the weekends.
1: Well, and, and I think that's the interesting thing about pro wrestling. Cause I actually did some theater in high school as well. And, A lot of that was because I thought, okay, I'm a pretty laid-back or shy person. Maybe if I can do some theater, things like that, maybe that will help me bust out of that shell a little bit, if that makes sense.
0: No, it makes perfect sense, and that's kind of, uh, I mean, I know, and I'm sure you do too, so many pro wrestlers who in their day-to-day life are very shy, more introverted, more reserved. and there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's just their personality, which is which is fine. But then when it comes to being a performer, they come across as much more extroverted, uh, much higher energy, much more involved with everyone around them. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's something that I think the more you get in front of an audience and, and theaters a way to do that, especially when you're young, uh, the more comfortable you get with it.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think, like with any um, kid that I see today, like you were talking about, all these sports, you know, will, will baseball directly help you with wrestling? It's hard to say, but I think being in some form of, a, of athletics from a young age will always kind of somewhat prepare you um, to being in, in pro wrestling. Because honestly, it's not like anything else. Like, pro wrestling, I think, is such a, a unique industry because. A lot of people you know at some point may have played baseball or football or done all these sports, so they see pro football pro baseball, they know like okay, that guy hitting a hundred mile an hour fastball that's difficult, but when they see a guy maybe take a backdrop, they maybe not realize like all the intricate elements that you know that go into place to make sure that that's safely done it's it's a it's a unique industry in that regard, I think yeah,
0: I think you're you're absolutely right, you know the kid in his driveway shooting a three pointer can identify with Steph Curry. Right? Like they can they can understand that what I'm doing what Steph Curry's doing just on a much smaller scale. And Steph Curry is just that much better at it. But at at its core, what we're both doing is taking this ball, jumping in the air and using our wrist and and other hand to guide it into the hoop. Right. With wrestling, there isn't that same kind of identification. Um you know safer i think there is a little bit of overlap and this is true historically for people who were wrestlers in high school or college sure. um there's just that identification with pro wrestling you know they kind of and i think wrestling in high school and college is, is similar in that if you didn't wrestle in high school or college you don't really understand just how tough that sport is or right. if you weren't around those athletes now was a ba- basketball was my winter sport so i never wrestled but I was around, I would see those guys in the gym because we were all in the gym in the same season and I was like wow these guys are really really
1: hard workers without a doubt and and that's the thing is because amateur wrestling and professional wrestling uh, again are it's not the same thing because I, I I joke with a buddy of mine that like anytime someone would find out I'm a wrestler the the correlation to a, to an average person would always be like oh well you know my uh my cousin he wrestled in college and you're like Right, they they go, What weight class are you in? <laughs> right. You're like Okay. <laughs> you know, like not the same thing, but <laughs> yeah. alright. Awesome. You're like, Yeah, him. no, not not that kind of wrestling. <laughs> right. And so then you're like, no, it's it's pro wrestling. Like yeah. like yeah. WWE and I'm like, Well, that's style, but again, much smaller scale, you know. Well who do you wrestle for? Well, I'm an independent wrestler. Well what does that mean? And it's like, oh, we are now going down a, a whole, whole rabbit a hole, whole hole here. <laughs>
0: It's a whole thing and you don't want to do it. And I actually, you know, and, and I would love to get your take on this too. A lot of times, um, so, so, and this is redirecting the conversation a little, but the word fake in wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. It's a big, big faux pas to use the word fake for a long time. Like, no, no, it's not fake. It's not fake. People get upset. Right. I long ago embraced that term. I would be like, yeah, it's fake wrestling. Like, just like the walking dead is fake television. Right. Like it's all it's it's they're not real zombies. Right. It's right. It's not real. Obviously, it's more dangerous than a TV show in some ways. You're like a live stunt man or stunt person. But at the end of the day, it's fake wrestling. And that also I found that disarms people who don't know a lot about the industry, who immediately want to go, oh, you do that fake stuff. Oh, that's not real. The Fake stuff. The fake stuff. The second you embrace that and be like, yeah, it's fake wrestling, man, but it's amazing. Like, You have to train athletically, you have to be a good actor, you have to have your skills polished, there's a lot of technicality involved in it. I think people inherently respect it more, I have found, when you kind of embrace that fake label, then it gives you a chance to kind of explain the intricacies of of the business itself.
1: That's an interesting point because, you know, obviously I, I call this show, you know, it's fake, right? And I feel like the reason I've done that is because anytime, when I was young, especially, you know, if I was a fan of wrestling and, you know, I was in high school talking to a buddy like, hey, we're going to order, you know, the SummerSlam pay-per-view or something. There'd always be that kid next to us be like, oh, you're res- watching wrestling. You know, that's not real. And I'm like, do, do you think like- we're the only two people in the world that didn't get that memo? Like, you're not – you're not shattering yeah, like, no, glass here. Really.
0: Listen, uh, Spider-Man: No Way Home made a billion dollars already, right? Yeah, Nobody right. is watching that going, you know. Andrew Garfield is not really Spider-Man. He can't really swing, right? It's like, right. no, we, we understand. You
1: we, know, we get um, it. It's it's, and that's the thing is, I actually compare wrestling to the Marvel movies often. You know, like I love them too. I, I I'll go see these movies. I love them. I think they're great, but again, they're not realistic concepts. Robert
0: Downey Jr. does not actually have a suit of armor that he can fly around the world. in.
1: Right. And so why is it if I say, Hey, I'm going to go watch the new Avengers. People are like, Oh, awesome. If I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go check out WrestleMania live this year. They're like, Oh, wrestling that, that, that fake stuff. And it's like, what's the difference between that and, and pro wrestling in the sense they're both forms of entertainment. They're different for sure. But we're like, what does that matter? It's, it's so strange to me, but you know, you kind of disarming people right away, doing like, yeah, I do the I do the fake type of wrestling. Like, it, uh, it, that's an interesting take because that does disarm people, where they're like, now they can't insult you, they can't try to uh, demean you with that word because you've already used it. So now they probably don't have a lot to say in that regard. It takes the power away, and I and I
0: will say this though, and I'm sure you would agree. Uh, having been around so many of the old school, old school guys, you know, if I had said, oh, it's fake, you know, when I had first been broken into the business, like that wouldn't, that would have been severely frowned upon. Right. Um, by, by the, the previous generation of, of pro wrestlers. I think even the, the more recent generation, you know, the, the Bretts and the guys who kind of were popular in the late nineties, early two thousands might even Uh, take offense to that word. But now the way the business is and, you know, WWE has been a publicly traded company for so long, it's just, it's a different, uh, time. And I think acknowledging that doesn't hurt the entertainment value of it. In fact, it kind of, you know, raises it because then, as you, you said so eloquently, like you can draw an analogy between, hey, it's the same thing as watching an Avengers movie, right? It's characters, it's characters interacting, it's characters fighting, it's characters having conversations back and forth. And so I think, you know, to, to me, the word fake is not a, is not something that gets me all riled
1: up. Well, and, and that's, what's so interesting because, you know, you talk about back in the day, right? I mean, back in the day, that was the whole thing of like, Oh, you, you think it's fake when you jump in the ring, see how, see how real it is. Like, it's like, the, it's <laughs> such an old school, like, I guess, thought process, right? Of like, you know, let me come in here and put, put some holds on you. Let me sh- show you how real it is. And, And and that's what is so, like you said, you you talk about it's not really hurting the business. I think now that the business is evolving, I think the whole old school mindset was if people don't think that this is real, we won't make any money, and they've realized that's not the case. People are are in on it. They know what they're paying for. They know what they're signing up for if they're ordering a pay per view or like you know a streaming service or something or buying tickets. So. Now it's like okay, they just want to be entertained, you know. Yeah, do we do we tell them like at the you know venue like, hey, this isn't real? No, we we play into the show, but it's still a show. There's no reason why we have to put on this outward persona that this isn't, um, you know, it, it's it's exactly what we're we're trying to make it. We're trying to make it a fun, entertaining escape from reality for people and and that's the weird thing about it now is cuz you still have those people that don't know wrestling that still don't quite totally understand that. It's again, it's a polarizing industry for sure.
0: I think a good analogy I've always thought is is magic, right? right. Because magic is one of those things where it's entertaining, people see it, and at your core you know it's not quote unquote real. Like right. a person is not actually levitating a ball they're not levitating themselves they're not sawing someone in half so you suspend your disbelief to enjoy that knowing full well that there are quote unquote tricks of the trade or there are uh there is misdirection you don't know how that misdirection is employed right you don't know the secrets to the tricks and i think that's part of what what the enjoyment is um, for a lot of fans right not knowing exactly how a turnbuckle is taken or how a backdrop is given is part of the enjoyment and, and the awe of watching these guys uh uh or women uh perform.
1: No, yeah, I, I agree completely. I've oft I've oftentimes made that comparison to magic because again, you know, if this guy's really sawing this woman in half, this is a big problem before up on stage, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> watching this as a show. Like, wait a minute, what what are we watching here? But again, I think with magic it's you know, again, you know what you're signing up for when you go watch it, right? And I, I took my, uh, well, we were at a, uh, oh, the whole family was at this magic show a few years ago. My niece and nephew were there, and some of the things, I kind of I'm like. Oh, I think I know how he did that. I think I know how he did that. But there's a few I'm like, okay, that you got me there. I don't know, you know. And I think that's the that's the fun part. And I think that's what we need to do with pro wrestling to some degree, right? Like, you can be the most jaded human being, but if you hear a guy get clubbed in the chest, you hear the contact. You know, you can see the sweat fly because of the lights. You're like, hmm, well, he really clubbed him there. You know, I heard it. I saw the sweat fly. Hmm. You know, that's that's where I feel like we're suspending disbelief sometimes in the industry.
0: I think that's absolutely right. I think that's 100% right.
1: Yeah. Um, but I think sometimes the industry, the, the one thing that we, that we experience that maybe a lot of people don't understand is the, um, I guess, the internal struggle With the industry, from from a, there's obviously the physical aspects, right? Your body's beat up, you know, injuries, things like that. But there's also a lot of mental drain in this industry. Of you know, are we going to quote unquote make it? What is making it now? Right? Is that main eventing WrestleMania and making millions of dollars? I guess you could say that. But not everybody gets to that point, right? So if you're a bottom of the barrel independent guy, you would kill for a spot developmental. But that guy in, at the bottom of developmental, he probably certainly doesn't feel like he's made it, right? But he's certainly doing better than the, than the, the bottom-of-the-barrel independent guy. But then there's also the guy that's on television, on the main roster, but he's not used all the time. I'm sure in his mind he's not making it, but he's doing better than the guy in, on the, in the bottom of the developmental system. So there's always those weird aspects of like what is actually, in my opinion, what is actually success in wrestling.
0: Uh and, and to that point I would argue that the guy who's main eventing WrestleMania is probably going, Man, but I'm not main eventing four WrestleManias in a row, five WrestleManias in a row. Right. Right? So like that that feeling I think exists from top to bottom and I think I think it's fair to say there was a time maybe as recently as ten years ago, where making it was hey, I got signed mm-hmm. and I made it to the main roster. And and now I can consider myself, I've made it. And at that point, they're still like, hey, I, I want more success. I want to keep working. I want other opportunities. But I think the broad consensus among wrestlers, uh, even old school wrestlers, trainers was, hey, if you got to the dance, if you got to the main roster and you were on, on the show or you were touring and you were, even if you were the dark match guy, like you made it. If you got a couple years out of that, Congratulations, you made it. Um, today, it's very, very different. And I, I think the industry leader, which has been and is WWE right now, and they kind of rightly or wrongly, they set the tone for how everything else goes in the industry. Um, it's very hard to say what is making it right now. Um because the financial rewards that were once there are not there in the same way, the stability that was once there is not there in the same way. Like wrestling inherently is not a stable profession, in that if you're injured, you can't perform, you're not earning anything, and your your career historically only lasted as long as your uh, athletic abilities, your body, and and whatnot held up. So for for everyone, absent being you know Ric Flair, or Jerry Lawler. There was an expiration date. There's an end date, like just like any other athlete. Um, but now it seems like that, you know, without that stability, with without any kind of long term contracts in play on the WWE side of things, it's a very, very difficult industry right now. And to your original point about the, the struggles, now I don't know what the answer is to did I make it? You know, outside of Consistently being on the main roster for five years plus at a mid to upper mid card level, I don't know what making it is anymore. I think that's changing.
1: Well, yeah, and think about in five years from now, what will that mean? You know, like right? We don't know. I mean, it,
0: it looks so different today as it as compared to five years ago. I think well, it's, it's 2022 now. So five years ago, we were in the heat of. NXT Orlando PC recruiting talent from the Indies that historically was not prized as WWE talent um, until 2013 and I know you know this until 20 around 2013 if you were on the Indies or you had worked for TNA or New Japan or anything nobody wanted to touch you at WWE that was the kiss of death is working at TNA right. um, and that that kind of flipped around 2014-2015. So and now it seems to have gone in a completely different direction. So we don't know what it's going to look like five years from now. And I think that uncertainty, too, is also a mentally taxing uh, thing that 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 people pursuing pro wrestling have to deal with now.
1: Well, and what's interesting is you you, you saying that I'm sure you remember this, too. There was a period of time and I want to say this was like probably pre-2010, it was like the mandate was like six three two forty. 240 That's what they wanted. The six two two forty 240 rule. Yes, yeah. I, re- I know it well. Yeah, I know yeah, it yeah. well because I, I
0: remember laughing, Brian, going, well, I can get to 6-2. I'm at 6 I'm over 6-2, but getting to 240 is going to take a while.
1: Right, yeah, so... but it was like they wanted like that specific thing. But again, I, I always look at it like if, if everybody looks like Batista, then Batista's not special. Like, you know, right. like, you have to have a mix in your in your roster. But again, it's always depending upon what they want. I know um, more recently here, they've just signed... The WWE has signed like several collegiate athletes. And I'm like, okay, so that's the route they're going. But I look at that as like, that is such a long-term investment. To take someone who has no knowledge of this industry... I mean, really, and I, I assume no real knowledge... And try to get them trained to be a good performer... You know, to be able to talk, to be able to, you know, connect with the fans, all that, like, that's a several-year process, I think, um, to get them to where they're, like, they could be on television and and doing this. Does it work for all of them? No. Will some of them get there? Yeah, I think so. But, like, that's where I felt, like, when they were signing independent talent, it's like, well, you take a guy like uh, – you know, let's say like a ricochet. He's been doing this for such a long time. He pretty well knows what he's doing and what he's good at. So you get him there. There's really not, there's a transition maybe to learn the WWE style, but he's already got all this built in equity with his name and everything else. But it seems as though now, like you were mentioned before, they're getting away from that. Now it's, you know, I think more like let's make homegrown talent or, or whatever that maybe, maybe that's not the idea. I don't know, but It's again, it changes and it's so different, but, you know, I mentioned the six three two forty thing. Then a couple of years after that, they do the cruiserweight classic and they sign all these cruiserweights. So was that a thing that they were going to do in 2009? Absolutely not. But in 2015, that was a huge thing. So again, the business can almost switch on a dime very, very quickly.
0: I think, and, and we have seen it in the last, you know, eight months, eight to 10 months, really switch on a dime in an aggressive way that it hasn't before, before there were transition periods. Right. Um, now the the transition is very, very aggressive. I think if we want to look at it long term and I, am I'm speaking from, this is an outside observer, right? I'm not talking to anybody inside WWE. I have in the past. So this is, you know, this is insight into where the mentality was. I don't know where it is now. Um, in that 2010 time period, you know, when that six two six three two forty thing was there, it was hey, we're hiring former athletes or people at at this size, and we're going to make TV stars out of them. And then there was this period right before 2012 2013, where they said, you know, what? we're going to relax that six two two forty rule, but everyone we hire has to have some potential upside as a main eventer. Now some guys will have more upside, right? A Drew McIntyre has more upside than say a Heath Slater, based purely on size, right? Sure. To say nothing of their their talent, right? And Heath, I say that Heath is not a small human being, if anyone's ever seen him in real life. Um, but but that was kind of the mentality. Then the company transitioned to saying, okay, we need to launch this network. We need to get as many subscribers as possible. How do we do that? Let's squeeze the existing wrestling fan base as much as we possibly can to get as many subscribers as we can. And as that happened, we saw this transition to a period where all of a sudden the top independent talent was being recruited to WWE um, in an effort to kind of build that WWE network subscriber base. And that was basically the better part of it from 2014, 2015 until 2019, 2020 or so. Uh, And now, as the network has kind of moved away from being a standalone service and being a part of Peacock, now you don't necessarily need that hardcore fan base that prized independent talent to subscribe because now you have a much broader audience to connect with. And so to reflect that, they've said, okay, well, we're going to move away from a lot of this independent talent and go back to uh, homegrown talent. Now, will that work? I mean, who knows? I think, you know, between you and me, I think there's a way to thread the needle, so to speak, where you kind of have both the homegrown talent and some of that independent talent that, that's super valuable. Um, the, the, the collegiate athlete recruitment thing now is very interesting yes. because I think when they did it previously, there was a lot of, I think that was really a Jim Ross, Jerry Briscoe initiative at the time too where they would go, they would meet these these athletes, they would solicit them, they would bring them down to FCW or, or Deep South or wherever it was at the time and kind of show them what they were getting into, try to see if there was buy-in. And then if there was buy-in, they would bring them on board, see how it goes, give them a year, two years, and really, really kind of marinate them. And I think they were able to, like nobody can argue that they were successful in identifying good talent. Now, with the way NCA rules have changed, they have these things called NIL deals, mm-hmm. where if you're a collegiate athlete, you can get paid by an outside organization for endorsement deals and things like this. So WWE has taken athletes that have large followings that might not necessarily be interested in wrestling and said, hey, we'll give you, you know, whatever it is, a couple grand as a holding deal. And then when you graduate, you come here and you train. Um, How that's going to work out, I don't know, you know, but, but it certainly is, it's, there's no arguing it's very different from the athlete recruitment that they did before. And all around, it makes it more difficult for people who, if they really loved wrestling and they became independent wrestlers, like now how do they find their way into the WWE right now? And the, the, the answer is right now you kind of have to take a wait and see approach.
1: And and that's what's so interesting, right? Because if you were to ask someone two years ago, hey, what's the what's the best course of action to, to get on their radar, we'll get notice on the independence. I don't know if that's the best course anymore, you know, but it's it's kind of hard to say, you know, become a, a very, very well known college athlete. Like that's that's a process. So I I don't know, man. It's it's hard to say and I think that's what's so um confusing and, and difficult of how to navigate this business where you could be, you know, a point where you should be getting looked at, but because we're like, well, we're not really signing indie guys, quote unquote anymore. Then yeah, you're, you're kind of in a, in a, in a huge disadvantage. And I think that's the part about pro wrestling that will always be, um, extremely difficult is, you know, again, we, we mentioned it before. It's right place, right time. Luck. It's timing. It's being prepared for an opportunity if it does arise, and and just um, m- being able like like kind of what we're discussing right now, being able to see this industry for what it is, because again, there's other options out there. Like obviously, there's AEW now, but then there's you know, op- but, but again, Ring of Honor just basically went on hiatus. Will they come back? I don't know. Um, there's Impact. There's there's New Japan. There's MLW, but. Are all of these, like, viable options as far as making a good living? I don't know. And does WWE need to hire people from these lesser-known companies? Probably not because they're they're the – until something changes, they're the industry leader, right? They can kind of almost set the tone. And that's kind of been another interesting thing about pro wrestling is WWE can kind of do what they want, right? Like, they don't need independent wrestling. They don't need those guys. They Like you said, they – they're doing this college deal, these NIL deals now, because they don't really technically need independent guys. And and so if that was your route to get in, and you've been doing that for a few years, that, that may not necessarily be the best, best route at this point. And, and even if, you know, if, if WWE says, hey, we're going to hire 30
0: NIL college athletes, and even if they whiff, completely whiff on 28 of them, if two of them turn out to be very talented, very motivated, you know, A-level, upper mid-card to main event type stars, they will point to that and say, look, we were successful in our right. our college recruitment efforts, right? And I think it's fair, like, that's fair, right? Um, but it's very difficult now because, you know, if you want to play in the NFL, you know how to get to the NFL, at least conceptually, right? right? You play high school football, you play college football, you get drafted. Oh, if you're on the bubble of being drafted, but you played in college, maybe you go play at one of those other leagues, right? Arena football, Canadian football, XFL, whatever. And then you find a way into the NFL. Same thing with the NBA, right? You play in college, you go to, you, you get drafted. Don't get drafted. Okay. Go to the D league. Things aren't working out in the D league. You can play overseas and you can make a good living playing basketball in Europe, in, in some markets with wrestling and historically with WWE, because that's been the company. Now we have AEW too. There's never been a clear path for how do we recruit that talent? How does talent who wants to get there, get there? It used to kind of be, you had to know somebody who knew a guy who'd put a word in or send a letter to, you know, to Jim Ross or to his office, or you, you pick up the phone and you just harass them at the office as long uh, until they pick up the phone and now it's it's a publicly traded company it's corporate you can't do that anymore so how do you actually get to WWE and Hunter's one of Hunter's things was uh, with building NXT was this is well this is a, a question we want to address is people want to know how do you get here well you fill out this form online we bring you to a tryout we kind of keep track of you and then when we've seen marked improvement, or we think there's something here, we'll bring you on board, and we'll invest in you for three to four years, maybe five years in developmental, and then see what we got. And I, I think it's fair to say, like if, I know I used to joke with some of my friends and say, "Oh man, this guy he's been down there for five years. Like at this point, you got what you got. What are they doing? They're wasting money paying guys down here for five years." And that's fair, but also that meant that they were looking at talent and saying, hey, if you're investing yourself here, we're going to invest in you. And we're going to give this a good four or five years to see if this is something you can be good at. And if it is, great. We made a good investment. If it's not, that's okay. That's part of the cost of creating good talent.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. And and what's been interesting, though, um, this last couple of years, this is something we've seen the wwe hasn't done in a while is like these mass cuts right where i think since 2020 we've had like what 100 some odd talents cut from yeah 120 150 something like that right and you know i remember a lot of the guys um i can't think of his name but there was an indie guy that had only been there like six or eight months that was cut and i was just like wow like that's like so quickly you know what i mean it's just one of those things like he didn't really even have a chance to to show them what he could do, like it's it's only been a small amount of time, but again, those shifts in the industry once they start happening, it's if you're not aware of it, like next thing you know, it's like this is a completely different company, and I think that's what we're going to see uh, probably the rest of this year and, and moving forward is a lot of these uh, co- cultural shifts in uh, in WWE and possibly in professional wrestling in general.
0: I, I and I wonder what this means for independent wrestling too. Right. Because, you know, like, so before we get to independent wrestling, let's talk about AEW a little bit. AEW's successful by all accounts right now, but they are at about capacity when it comes to the talent they have with respect to the hours of TV that they can fill right
1: now. Exactly.
0: Um, And so until they have another show or some of their stuff is on HBO Max, which is the, the streaming service for their partner Warner, Turner, Um, you know, I don't, I think it's unreasonable for us to say, okay, that's a place for all the wrestlers to go to because there are fewer and fewer spots there. Um, On the indies, indies have been popular, at least among fans and as a place to grow talent because for the last six, seven years, people would work in the indies, they would build themselves up and then they would get signed, right? It was kind of like a feeding um, uh, a path to, to make it to WWE. Now that that path has dried up in terms of WWE no longer recruiting from that, I wonder what that means for the future of independent wrestling. I'm sure it'll continue to exist in some way, but that's a, a large hit for uh, mentally and emotionally for wrestlers and promoters to absorb knowing that there is not necessarily the same end game for you if you're a talent or a promoter. If you're a promoter and you're, you're not making that much money, you could at least say, hey, I take pride in being a place where people can come, they can work, they can grow, and then I see them off to WWE, and that's something that, that is important to me. Now you can't say that. Where does that leave you mentally and emotionally as somebody involved in independent wrestling? It's a very, very tough time right now.
1: Well, yeah, and you, you brought up AEW, and that's and you talked about um, the talent they have based on the number of shows they have, and that's the thing, is I know they have their YouTube shows, but it, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, so they produce a whole other show, another two-hour show. It's like, that's a lot of wrestling. That's a lot of wrestling for anyone to try to consume, um, and that's just one company. That doesn't include all the other companies. It's like, at a certain point, I don't know if, if more wrestling is always the answer, because it's again not not everybody wants to spend their entire amount of you know television watching hours watching wrestling all the time they want to kind of mix it up i think and so that's another thing to to think about is the second they sign another big name which i'm sure there will be before too long now all these guys that are you know working the darks and the ele- elevations those shows what are they doing now well probably not as much and so I think one thing we could see is like some of those AEW guys that are lesser known started getting kinda of let go from time to time. <laughs> and focusing more on on these bigger names, right, that are that are coming in. And and that's not for sure, but I could definitely see that happening. And there's been some rumors of that and people kinda of being upset, like, well, you know, why wasn't Marco stunt out there with the the Lucha, the Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy? And it's like, well, he, maybe he's injured. Okay, but you know, now they have Christian Cage. It's like, well, okay, that. But that from a company standpoint, that makes more sense. Even though, yeah, Christian Cage hasn't been there from the beginning. But you know, is Marco stunt someone that they could possibly let go and people would understand it? Yes. Does that make it right? I don't know. It is, but that's kind of the, that's how the wrestling business has always been. You know, the WWE's never been shy about letting people go. They didn't feel like they needed them anymore. And, and I think with AEW doing that, it will definitely, people will start to realize like, oh, this is just a company just like WWE. They have to bring in the best talents that they can and produce the best product that they possibly can. Yeah. And I,
0: I I think it's, you know, it's it's going to be a tough couple of years for talent that is trying to make it on the independent scene. And I think that's a combination of, you know, the industry leader, WWE, changing their direction, AEW kind of reaching capacity from a talent and and show standpoint. I would, you know, if I was advising AEW, I would tell them, listen, what you need to do is continue to churn out this content and use the talent you have as an advantage to building stuff outside of the ring. So when WWE was really successful initially on the network, and they've kind of moved away from it a little bit, if you've noticed, is those documentaries, right? The 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 shows like Ride Along. Um, mm-hmm. There was original content that they put out there that was outside of the ring uh, and was, was pretty successful. And I think that's an opportunity for AEW. But for the talent itself, if you can't go to WWE and AEW's full, Well, you know, New Japan maybe will pay a, pay a, pay a good wage, but we, we also haven't acknowledged the elephant in the room, which is we're still in a pandemic. So that makes things even harder for everyone. Yeah. So maybe going back and forth to Japan is not going to be as easy as it was before. Uh, rules are different in Japan in terms of live events that New Japan can run. They are very much a live event-focused company and not a media company. So if they're not selling tickets, that company is not as successful Right. Um, as, as say, a WWE or AEW, which can air stuff if there's no fans. Um, MLW, NWA, do they pay... Can anyone pay their bills working just there exclusively? I think, and I think this is a dirty little secret that that more wrestlers should talk about is the financial uh, uh, things that people deal with in terms of how difficult it is mm-hmm. to pay your bills and survive if you're just wrestling. Right. You know, if you're just at MLW. And they're paying you. You know, they run. Let's say once a month. Let's say twice a month. Let's let's say they run twice a month, and you get paid, let's say five hundred dollars a night. That's a thousand bucks a month. You can't pay your bills on that. No, like not even close. So, what is the expectation for people in the industry? And I think right. uh, I think that's a hard conversation that wrestlers need to need to have. And we all of us have kind of put that off
1: for too long. Well, and that's another thing too. So if you are an MLW contracted talent, I think you can still do independent work, but maybe you're not allowed to appear on TV on other companies, right? So they have some exclusivity to you. But again, if they're not paying you what you need to be paid you know, as like a living wage, right? Like that's kind of unfair to – Throw, and I'm just using them as an example because I don't, I don't know any other sure, specifics sure, of that. But, sure, sure, but you know, No, I, no, like, same, same. I just picked the number out of the air. But, right. And, and so if you're not making like legitimately good money at something, it's kind of like is that a good deal? Like, I mean, I guess you could say, well, television, exposure, all that stuff, but that only gets you so far. Like exposure is great, but if that doesn't, you know, eventually lead to some form of of money or, you know, bank, you know, your bank account, like that's not necessarily always a good thing. So I don't know, man. Like, again, that's the weird thing about pro wrestling, but on the independent level, I mean, I don't know how many times I've had a promoter hit me with a number and I'm thinking like, it's going to cost me more in gas to get there. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I can't even fathom like, like, well, I'm going to need trans. Oh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. I'm like, it's going to cost me this much just to get there let alone you know perform a match so it's it's that weird thing of like why why do um why do independent wrestlers on that level not make good money and i and i've i've heard the arguments like well sometimes if you want to get booked that's what you have to do and and i get that but that doesn't mean that it's right either
0: no and i think that's it's okay to say that if someone's new and they're right. trying to get reps in, right? If you're if you're one, two, maybe three, four years in and you're just getting reps in and the experience is more important to you than the pay, right? right? And so in essence, you are investing by spending money to go work a show, right? If you lose, people used to always say, oh, I lo- if you lost money on a, a booking, it wasn't a good booking. And I would say, well, that depends, right? If you were right. two years in, And you lost 30 bucks or 40 bucks on all your expenses and things involved, but you got 10 minutes in the ring and you talked to people in the locker room and you networked and somebody watched your match and they gave you feedback and you got the video of the match that then you could watch later and you could evaluate and break down. Well, then you didn't lose money. You just spent and invested that money. Um, But I think you're right. If somebody's been doing this for a long time and they bring quality to the in-ring product, then they should be paid a, a living wage. Um, I don't know what the solution to that is. I don't pretend to have the answer because, you know, if a promoter charging 10 bucks for a, a ticket and they get uh, 200 fans and then the cost of the, uh, uh, the building and then insurance and things like that. Right. I am sympathetic to that. Right. Um, but I, I I think you know if anything maybe that tells us that the business model of independent wrestling needs to change or or in some way has to change.
1: Well, and, and exactly, and I think that's the whole that's the whole thing is like you have guys who run. Is the building too expensive? Is is the ticket price too low? Is there's all these factors into it, right? I mean, it's it's a very it's a very hard thing to even know. Like what is the right answer to this? What's the what's the right call? Because I I have friends who are promoters, so have I been a promoter? No. I so I can't really speak to that, but I've I've seen their internal struggles and and them talking to talents that wanted way too much money and then being like, We can't there's no way we can afford that. We need we need like, you know, we need fifty dollar a night guys. It's like okay, I can understand that, but when you're doing that your investment you know is is basically going to be for that night like you're not going to have something in my opinion where people are like wow I really need to come back so it's that's where it gets tricky like you know you talk about losing money on it on a on a on a booking and that's very possible but like you were saying like networking also too like maybe you can come back next month because you put on a good match and people saw you but but then that becomes a thing where like okay well yeah if I come back could I could I make this now the promoter would be like, "Oh, you think you're worth more money now?" It's like, "Well, like you've seen what I can do, so you see that I that I I bring something to the table. Like it's not an unfair request to ask for a little bit more, especially if you are losing money in the overall deal. But again, it's just these are hard waters to navigate sometimes when you're uh, when you're in this industry, whether you're you know new or a couple of years in, it's just it's a very very difficult thing to really understand what the right answer is sometimes. No, and sometimes there is no right answer. I, I know that I, I will advise
0: younger talent now and I still will do it if it's a place that I haven't worked before. I'm of the mentality that everybody gets one, right? Everybody gets one discounted look if they, if they want to see, if they want to book me consistently beyond, beyond that. So I'm, if, if I've never worked for you and you call me up and say, Hey, listen, I want to use you for this. This show and I say, okay, well, what's your budget? What can you afford? Uh and they say, Well, what what's your rate? And I say, okay, it's this. But since this is the first time I'm coming in few, why don't I work with you? How about this? And then if we we both think this is a good fit, we can we can talk after that. Mm-hmm. Okay, no problem. Um and that's I have found that to be successful in terms of hey, you take the booking, you get the booking, you don't make as much the first time. But now the person sees the value you bring to the show, to the locker room, to the environment, uh, and maybe they're they're willing to bring you in at at your actual rate or a higher rate going forward. Um, it's just uh, you know it's a tough time. Uh, I don't want to be a total downer, and I think you you did mention this earlier. We don't know what the business is going to look like right in a year, in two years, in three years, in four years, right? Uh it could be in a much better place where there are way more spots and people are making way more money and uh the product is more popular than ever, right? Tomorrow, sure. if if WWE as the industry leader decides, you know what, we're gonna sell the company to Disney, well, okay, here we go. Like everything's gonna ramp back up. Um, we don't we just don't know. So I think as much as we say you know things are are a struggle right now. There there's a lot of mental health that that's uh, under pressure for wrestlers right now. It can also swing in the other direction very fast,
1: very quickly. Right, exactly. And you know I, that's why I, I mentioned before about the uh, you know the six three two forty role that they wanted. Well, then a couple of years later, then they're they're signing all these guys to do a cruiserweight classic. So, and they legitimately wanted people to be below two o five. So, again, things can swing on a dime. And, and I think right now one thing that's really good about the wrestling industry is that even without, quote-unquote, a television deal, people can still put their product on on a streaming service or on YouTube. So there's a lot of, of ways to be seen uh, from, a, from a variety of companies. And I think that that's a good thing because with the internet, your reach can be very, very broad as far as uh, getting seen. Uh, for pro wrestling again, there's a lot of pro wrestling out there. I don't know anyone who can watch everything, but as a way to kind of get some some notoriety and, and possibly make um, make a name for your, yourself on the independents, it's definitely a doable thing, which is which is good.
0: No, and I think so. And this is the the world I live in. In my day job is the entertainment and media business, and there are you know linear television, which is people who subscribe to Comcast or uh, Cablevision or Spectrum or whatever, um, the number of people who watch that steadily declines every quarter, every year, right? Um, the number of people who watch things on streaming increases. And it's not just the big streamers. There's an entire industry of new streamers, what they call free advertising supported television. So stuff that is not as popular as say a Netflix or Hulu, but does still get viewership like a Pluto TV mm-hmm. um, or or uh you know Peacock has an ad supported version. That's a bad example because they have a deal with WWE. But there are other streaming TV services that you can just
1: load up on your smart TV or Roku. Right. Like Tubi is one I know that's free. Two B
0: is one, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So and there's there's I want to say 10, 12 of them right now. And they are growing very fast and aggressively. And they are supported by advertisers the same way television used to be supported by advertisers.
1: Right. And Um, And much like wrestling, that whole industry is starting to change too.
0: Correct. Correct. Absolutely. So the, the world where wrestling used to be, Hey, we want to get, and this is something for promoters to even think about now of, you know, the goal used to be, Hey, I want my promotion to have TV. We need TV. Well, you need to think about what TV is defined as. now. People still watch TV in that they lay on their couch and they watch the big screen in their living room or their bedroom, but they're not watching it through a Comcast box or through a Time Warner cable box or what have you. They're watching it through their PlayStation, their Roku, their Apple TV, uh, through these various services. So I think one of the things to be optimistic for is that a lot of these services don't have a wrestling product or, or even bigger sports content. And if I was a, a, a busy independent that had good production, that's where I would put my energy, is, hey, how can I get on one of these platforms, build our fan base up to a level that we're then valuable enough to maybe go to a Paramount Plus after mm-hmm. after two years, three years? Because that's where the money really is, is is those rights fees not necessarily in selling tickets and then you can pay your talent more you can reinvest in the product sure um so there is there is, there are some good things happening out there that can certainly flip the wrestling industry and the independent wrestling wrestling industry on a dime
1: well and, and you know bringing up Tubi, the reason i brought that up like what if like an mlw got a deal with tubi where it's like hey you can stream mlw fusion every week right here on tubi that, to me, what that's going to do, pro wrestling historically has always done this, where the wrestling fans will find the wrestling. So if you put your product on a streaming service, even if it's an ad-supported free service, that will get a whole bunch of wrestling fans to download that app and check out that service, which is ultimately what they're going for, right? They, they need to have the content available that make people like, oh, I can watch this movie on, on Tubi and it's free? Okay, I'll go do that. You know, that's... That to me is the whole whole concept. So I think I think you're right. I think if because um, I know um, NWA did this recently where they made everything behind a paywall, and I've, I've heard them say that that overall may have hurt their product because now people can't like just naturally stumble upon this. Right when it was on YouTube and it was ads, people could share it on Twitter or Facebook or, or Instagram. Hey, check out the NWA's back. And when it's behind that paywall, you're only only getting the diehards or the people that want to support it. So it's the average viewer may not even be aware that this is a thing.
0: Correct. So you've actually stumbled upon something that's very important in entertainment and media. So you can put your content behind a paywall once you have scaled the consumers or fans of your, your product or service or business. But if you haven't built that fan base up or that consumer base up, when you go behind the paywall, there's not going to be enough people to support and grow the business, and then the people that you hope would come and discover your product can't. Right? Tomorrow, if the new, you know the New York Times is behind the paywall, they can do that because everyone who wants to see news knows, like, oh, if I want to read this story, I have to I have to pay for the New York Times. Right. I have to see the New York Times. But if you're a new news organization just coming up. You can't go behind a paywall right away, especially if you don't have that A-level talent because people won't come find you. I think you raise a very interesting point. If I was, you know, an MLW or an NWA, I would not be pursuing uh, a linear cable television deal, right? I would not put myself on sci-fi or vice TV or any of these channels. I would do what a lot of other smaller companies are doing. And I would put it on Tubi or i put it on Pluto because the discovery for younger consumers too is there in a way that it isn't on, on television. You know, me and you might have TV. People who are 15 years old, 16 years old, 20 years old, they're not watching TV unless their parents have it at home. Right. Um, so so I think when it comes to the future of the business, a lot of places would be smarter to move away from uh, linear cable television ratings, right? Ratings. Nobody cares about ratings in 2022, right? Um, you know, to a place where more people are going to see it. Uh, and I think there's opportunity there. So I think that's a good thing about independent wrestling. If somebody is willing to say, okay, how can I think outside the box rather than, just worry about how many tickets I sold and just scrape by Mm -hmm. and pay my wrestlers 50 bucks a night. I think there's opportunity there.
1: Oh, I think so too. And, and, but again, it's, it's that evolving industry and kind of maybe recognizing, you know, where it's headed. I remember working for a guy a few years back and he, he was so excited to tell me he got a TV deal, which was like a local access television (laughs) at, you know, at four in the morning on a Saturday. And I'm like, Great, like I, I'm all I'm thinking is like no one's gonna watch this, man. Like, but I, I get your thought of like, oh, this is great because it's on TV. But again, this is, like 2014. I'm like, cable's already going away, man. Like, people are already yep. on the the streaming service bandwagon. I don't, think- and and the
0: people who and the people who do watch cable, right? The people, the diehards, who I want my Comcast, I want mm-hmm. my uh, Xfinity or whatever. The reason they do that is not to discover stuff like that. It's because right. it's for two things. It's I want my NFL or all my live sports, right, NBA, or I want my CNN or MSNBC right. or, or whatever, right? I want live sports and live news. Nobody's watching cable specifically for any any show because all the shows and all that stuff is on, on streaming somewhere.
1: Right. And and that's the thing is I remember talking to a guy at my work one time. He found out I didn't have cable anymore. And I'm like, I haven't had it in a long time. He's like, I, I couldn't even live without cable. And I'm like, well, what do you watch? And he named like one show. And it was, it was one of those, like, you know, from, from TLC or something like, and I'm like, well, I mean, that's probably on streaming somewhere. And I could tell his, like, his whole world came crashing down. But to him, <laughs> you just crushed it. Yeah. But to him, he probably couldn't fathom not having actual cable because that's what he's always known and and you start to realize like when like with all this other stuff out there it's like there's a way to watch all of this and cable's just kind of a, a thing where it's it's going away and i think that whole you know anytime i talk to the my my fi provider they're always trying to bundle me with cable and i'm like nope don't want it well it's only this much more a month i don't want it i don't want it and you have to kind of really be forceful because I think a lot more people are kind of getting away from that. And I think that's, you know, like with, with pro wrestling, that's a, that's a holdout for cable, right? Like that's something we didn't even touch on. But AEW and and even WWE, that's, that's a big way you can actually watch it is with cable. And so that's where it's like one of those things where, but do I want to justify paying a cable bill every month to watch one or two wrestling shows a week? Not really.
0: Right, and and so here, and here's the one thing I will give WWE credit on is if you're a diehard WWE fan and you don't want cable, all you need is Hulu and Peacock. True, because you can watch next day Raw recaps or Mm -hmm. SmackDown recaps or whatever on Hulu for now, Um, and then you can watch all the pay per views on Peacock. Right, and if I'm an AEW diehard fan. Right now, the only place to watch them is on cable. Right, and so knowing the consumption habits of consumers, especially younger consumers, I keep waiting for AEW to say, "Hey, here's where you can watch our content if you don't have cable." Right, um, and and I'm sure that they they'll get there. That's a young company, to be fair, right? Sure. They're growing. There, I think it's fair to say that that we should be patient with them. Uh, From that standpoint. Um, And once they do spread. You know. There will probably be more spots. Available there too.
1: Yeah I think so. And and I think that's what's. The tough thing about the business right. Because WWE. Letting go of so many talents. You kind of know AEW is going to swoop. Some of them up. But again. They can't pick up. You know 100 plus talents. That WWE has let go. So. And that's also to navigating the industry. Like if you're if you've been released from WWE and you have a bit of a following, you need to go somewhere where they're going to like you need to maybe impact's the place for you. Maybe NWA's the place. Maybe New Japan's the place. Because if if everybody goes to one place, well then you kinda get lost in the shuffle all over again. So again, that's that's the stuff that's uh, that's hard about wrestling, you know, because it, me and you can discuss this for hours, but I, I don't necessarily know if anyone has the right answer, right? Because it's, again, it's timing, it's luck, it's being prepared, it's kind of all of that rolled into one, and and I guess when you're in this business, just kind of hoping for the best sometimes.
0: Yeah, t- timing and luck play a huge part in it. I do, I do think there's still, you know, people have asked me, well, what do I do now? Because we don't, you know, WWE's not hiring, AEW, it's tough to get into, what do I do? And I always like to give them some similar advice where I say, listen, there's two things you can do that will never hurt you no matter where you go. One is work out and work out hard, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's never going to hurt you to be jacked. Like no one is going to look at you and be like, no, nah, that guy's too muscular. We don't want him. Right. Right. Like, or that girl's in too good shape. We don't want her. Um, so always work out. And two, you know that no matter where you go, you are going to have to be speaking into a camera. So get comfortable doing that. And those are two skills that are transferable across today. Every single wrestling company on the planet are transferable across generations of wrestlers. Right so those are two things that help you if you find if tomorrow you go through a wormhole and you wake up in 1982 and you got to go work at the NWA well guess what being in shape and being able to speak into the camera is going to be an asset for you absolutely if you go into a time warp and you wake up and it's 1993 new generation guess what being in shape and being able to speak into the camera is going to be an asset to you um so, so there is still stuff you can do as a wrestler. And I think it's important that we tell wrestlers, hey, listen, you know, you don't have to be reactive in the sense that you're always waiting for someone to hire you. Here's what you can do to be active. And that also, I think, for a lot of people helps ease some of the mental and emotional stress that comes with being a wrestler.
1: No, that that's, and that's a very, very good point because I think at the end of the day, Um, like you said, being able to talk, being in shape, those are very important assets that you will always need for pro wrestling. Like I said, I think being prepared is a, is a thing that people sometimes don't think about, but you know, it's one of those things. If you are prepared, ready to, to go at at a moment's notice, then hopefully they, they're not able to throw as much out at you that, that catches you off guard, um, But again, it it takes a while to become that, I guess, prepared where you're like, okay, I I can do this. You know, whether it's, you know, it being in the ring, like, you know, people ask me all the time, this is a whole different topic. Like, do you think it's better to put it all together in the back or call it on the fly? And I'm like, well, you need to be able to do both. Well, yeah, but which one do you think is better? And I'm like, "It, it depends on, I mean, that's like a whole series of factors, right? Like. I learned from day one to call it in the ring. Does that always make the most exciting match? No. Like, you need to put some stuff together, I think, to be exciting. But also, too, like, if something happens, right, like, all of a sudden, me and you are working, and you dislocate your kneecap, well, guess what? The game plan has now changed, and we need to, A, keep you safe and and see if this is salvageable. You know what I mean? Like, there's all those little factors. So you need to, like, yeah, again, that's being prepared, being able to do as much as you can and, I think sometimes that's something people don't always think about, but I think being prepared and being, you know, putting yourself in every situation. I'll tell guys all the time, I'm like, you're at a small show, call it on the fly tonight, and they look at me like I'm growing a second head. And I'm like, like it's not being filmed. Challenge yourself. Are you getting anything out of this show? You know, maybe a payday, but go out there and call it on the fly. See if you can pull something off. Like it's a it's it's forty people. It's in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. Call it on the fly tonight and see what you can come up with. I was like, because now you've challenged yourself because that's what I would do sometimes on small shows when I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of upside to it. It's like, okay, I'm going to try something new tonight. I'm going to do, you know, if I'm, if I'm the baby face, I'm going to do this. If I'm the heel, I'm going to try this and see if I can, if, you know, listen to the crowd. Did that work? Did that not work? You know, just those little things you can do to ultimately try to make yourself a better performer.
0: I'm a big, big call-it-on-the-fly person because I think, and, and you said this, do I think that if you are a main event at a big show, you should be calling it on the fly, the whole thing? No, obviously there are larger show and storyline concerns and things that are more subtle that you want to get in. So maybe you want to have an outline in play. You want to kind of have your your couple spots that that you've planned or worked out ahead of time so that everyone's spacing and positioning is on point. Absolutely no problem. But I think the huge benefit to calling things on the fly is that, and you said this, inevitably, because it's going to be inevitable, when something goes wrong, be it somebody tweaks a shoulder, a back, or they forget a spot, or they miss something, you do not miss a beat if you are comfortable calling things on the fly. Right. Um, I am so grateful that for the first, really, five, six years that I was wrestling, I only called it on the fly because then what happened is when I got opportunities to be in a position to show what I could do if something went wrong nothing fazed me. There was nothing that could phase me and make me go, Oh crap. What do I do now? Right? No, no freezing. No, you just, okay, cool. You know, on, on with the show. Here we go. Let's keep going. So I'm a big call it on the fly person. And I, I hate to sound like the old guy because I think the right way to do things is a good mix of calling it on the fly and having some stuff planned. But I do think a lot of the younger talent today refuse to call it on the fly from day one, and they end up doing themselves a a big disservice long-term.
1: Right. It's a whole skill that you're missing out on, right? Again, it's just a tool in your toolbox because I I try – I don't want to keep you here all day. I'll kind of wrap it up with this, but excuse me. I always try to tell guys, I'm like, if you're going to WWE as an independent guy and they they want to see what you can do, they're going to test you, right? And so – they may tell you, like, "Okay, do a match." Oh, by the way, you can't touch the ropes. Okay, well, yep. if you have no mat skills, you're probably going to be exposed. And I was like, "And that's all they need." If if they want to see if you'll crack under pressure, they're going to try to expose you. And that's that's something that I saw happen firsthand. Guys go to the ring, all of a sudden, someone else's music's playing. You know, oh, okay. And so now what what can you do cuz now you're wrestling a guy who you have not even spoken a word to about putting anything together. So they're going to see can they expose you. And it happened a lot. But some guys rose to the challenge. So again, prepared, you know, that's a, a big thing I always try to tell people. If you're as 100% prepared as possible, you shouldn't have anything to worry about, but there's always something we can all do. And I think that's the the thing we could end it on there. Is like, there's always, there's always learning in wrestling. There's always um, being willing to accept criticism in wrestling. Cause that's some people, you know, a lot of people have a hard time with that. And there's times I've had a hard time with that. You know, like when you hear certain criticisms, especially if you don't feel like, you know, you agree with what they're saying, but if, if there's someone you respect, you know, it is something you need to listen to because, maybe they know what they're talking about. I think there's a lot of aspects uh, that wrestlers need to learn and 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 pay attention to the industry kind of like what we were talking about today. There's a lot of things that are changing. So be, you know, pay attention to that. Be aware of that. Uh, what can you offer a company if they were to sign you? If a company wants to pay you a lot of money, they're going to need some return. So they, you know, show them what 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 you can offer and things like that. So I think there's a lot of things there that Hopefully, if you're a young aspiring uh, professional wrestler, this is some information here with two guys just kind of shooting the BS for it. I so I
0: will I will leave it on uh, something that brings us back to what we talked about at the very beginning. So if you do those things, right? If you listen to criticism, if you apply it, um, if you get out of your comfort zone and call things on the fly, and if you're prepared, like you said, be prepared. What that does is that creates confidence and not fake, you know, bro confidence like arrogance, but truly internal, unshakable confidence. The kind of confidence you had when you were a kid, you had a test and you knew the answers because you studied and you came into it and you felt great going into it. Mm -hmm. Or if you were playing a sport and you knew the game plan and you knew your opponents and you read the scouting report and you were like, hey, I got this. So if you do all of these things, you come into wrestling from a place of humble confidence, and that really puts you in a position where you're going to succeed, maybe regardless of the environment that the industry's in at any given time.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think I think a lot of that. There's so much there, and but again, uh, being confident, learning, um, challenging yourself. There's so much there. I think as as pro wrestlers, and it's easy to get because we've all been there we get on the soapbox and you just gripe about this guy i can't believe they're giving this guy an opportunity oh this guy he's the shits or whatever like we've all we we all can be in that position but again sure just, but just you know be prepared and and I, I again i i can't stress that enough be prepared focus and just ultimately try to offer something, but dude, this has been so much fun to catch up. Um, I feel like we could have probably talked for three hours if we wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> just an absolute blast. I know, I know you're out there. I believe at McDrake is, uh, is your social media. Is that for Twitter and Instagram? That's for Twitter
0: and Instagram. I, I got off the Facebook machine. It was just a little. It wasn't a pleasant experience being on the Facebook machine anymore. Um, you so, tell me about it. Yeah, so so at McDrake on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Still, still wrestling. I've cut back a little bit with the current uh, current COVID situation, but I'm sure come February, come March, I'll I'll be back in the ring.
1: Awesome man. Well, uh, keep an eye on him. Uh, Mick's an amazing performer. So much fun to watch. We never got to wrestle, which is uh, kind of uh, something I, I wish we had gotten to do a little bit here or there. But um, I'm happy to see you know your future, man. Hopefully, you got some good stuff down the pipeline, and I'm sure we'll uh, we'll catch up again down the road, man.
0: Yeah, great, great being here, Brian. So good to hear from you, and I'm so glad to hear that uh, that you're doing well. All things considered.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Have a good one. All right, you too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, back here to close up the show. Big shout-out to my guest this week, Mick Drake. Make sure to give him a follow on his social media platforms. He's a great guy and a guy I could see doing some uh, some pretty major things in pro wrestling in the next few years. So keep an eye on Mick Drake. Very talented guy. Very very nice guy. And uh, a guy I really want to see um, make it to the absolute highest he can in this industry because he deserves it. And that's what I want to see is people like that make it because uh, because he's awesome. Great dude. Um, I guess this coming week, uh, next week, I guess will be, uh, Justin James. He is another guy I met through the Harley race wrestling Academy. Um, he came in for a Harley camp, I believe it was 2009 and, um, I had actually met him probably like six months before that we were both in Las Vegas and, um, I, Justin's a Chicago guy, so you know he he traveled a pretty good way to get to Vegas as well as does I. We were in that grinding mode, you know what I mean, where we're just doing everything we can to get noticed. Well, in Las Vegas, they have an event called the Cauliflower Alley Club. It's kind of a big wrestling convention, and uh, we got paired together. Like literally, it's like you on this side, you on this side, get in and wrestle five minutes, see what happens. Which is not an easy thing to do. I was. Relatively new, I think he's probably a couple of years in, but still I mean relatively new in that regard and uh, just basically you just go there and wrestle and see what can happen and um, we didn't have the best match, which is kind of normal and I think we were both kind of disappointed in that and then at the camp, I remember us talking and just kind of realizing like like you oh, know it just it just happens like it wasn't like we blamed each other, but it was just uh one of those things we didn't know each other. It's hard to go out there and just have a cold match with somebody all the time and make it good. Or even if it's decent, it's not, like, aesthetically pleasing to a, the audience if they were watching. So, But he's a great dude. And I remember he really stood out at the camp as just a solid overall performer. And a guy, you know, I've been a social media friend with uh, since that camp in 2009, which is kind of crazy to think, you know, because around that time is when I first got Facebook. And, you know, Facebook now, Instagram and Twitter and all this stuff. Like, you start meeting these, not meeting these people, but getting to know them through their social media life. And I knew Justin had kind of stepped away from wrestling. And so I thought, well, that one might be a fun conversation to, to see, you know, is there a reason why did he, was it, you know, just burnout, injuries, whatever. And he does dive into a lot of that. And it's a really fun conversation. and I think it gives a different look. On you know an indie wrestler's uh, journey through pro wrestling, which is what I'm trying to do, is just those different perspectives out there for different people. And Justin certainly has that, and so he'll be coming up next week. And I think everybody will enjoy it. It's a really fun conversation. So next week, gear up for Justin James. Make sure to uh, follow me on my social media platforms at Brian Breaker O D R on Twitter, or at Brian Breaker on Instagram, and also at Brian Breaker on uh, TikTok. I think it's at Brian Breaker. My God, I don't even know my own stuff. Um, but I had to create a TikTok so. A bunch of a-holes wouldn't make a whole bunch of slanderous stuff about me, you know, because unfortunately that's the world we live in at at this time. It's at Brian Breaker ODR on TikTok. So just like my Twitter. So check it out there. I don't post a lot, but I'm on there a little bit, especially when I'm at work, when I'm bored. That's what I guess what's TikTok's for. Um, You can check out um, my wrestling uh, or I'm sorry, not that my podcasting buddies, the fully posable wrestling figure podcast every Sunday and Scott's side project drunk wrestling history. Doing the Favor with Eric and Barry, the Positively Pro Wrestling Podcast with Steve and Eric, the Ringside Rant with RJ, the Leisure and Lariats Podcast with Ruthless Ryan Davidson, Boot to the Face with Marty and Rucker, Tales from the Estate with Drew Vintzel and his wife, Caitlin, Wreck My Podcast with Jordan Zeilinger and his pals over there, Trivia with Buds with Ryan Buds. In fact, uh, spoiler, I just recorded an episode of You Know It's Fake Right with Ryan Buds. That will be a good one. I wasn't sure, like, because he, me and him have never talked just solely wrestling for the most part, but he really had some fun perspectives, and I think everyone will enjoy that. Look for that soon. Helen uh, with the Wolf with the one and only Jason Wolf and his amazing Chop Shop. In fact, I just got a Chop Shop package in today, and it was awesome. Uh, pulling up a chair with our friend Tim at a chair shop, my guest last week. Night of the Nerdy Laser Podcast with uh, Richard Yule and his friend Matt. Catching up with Aaron and Daniel. And then, of course... Our own shows, Breaker and Bane's Power Hour every Sunday, No Holds Barred with Bill Benis every Tuesday, and the TV Toy Cast every Thursday, plus all of our t-shirts, Pro Wrestling Tees, Whatamaneuver.net, bbph.redbubble.com. In fact, I just threw up a, uh, a retro design from Bane. He probably did this in like 2014, 2015. It's kind of 8-bit style of me and him, and it has just says BBPH. It's available on Redbubble. Um, I think there's a lot of hidden gems there on Redbubble that people may not know about. The thing about Redbubble is it's kind of a hard website to navigate, but there's a lot of cool stuff on there. So I'm going to start posting more stuff as the, as the weeks go. So if you want to get some old-school BBPH merch, Redbubble is a good place to go. Anyway, thank you guys for checking out You Know It's Fake, Right? And remember, as the great Johnny Valentine once said, I cannot make you believe that pro wrestling is real, but I sure as hell can make you believe that I am. I'm Brian Breaker. This is You Know It's Fake, Right? And we'll see you guys next week. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) Mr. Wonderful. I've been around for a minute, and I can stand toe to toe with the best of the minute. Don't give a damn about critics. They talk a lot, man, at the end of the night. I'm selling the tickets. All the tough guys avoid me. The ladies all adore me. Paparazzi recall me. I can put on a clinic on my opposers. Are born.